You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. I love that part of the video where it talks about the heart of God uh, through the birth of Jesus is on full display. It's so true. One of my favorite uh, scriptures for the Christmas season has probably got to be John chapter 1, those first 18 verses there. And I want to share those with you tonight as we get into just a message focused on the birth of Christ. And there John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and apart from him, nothing came into creation that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who was the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him. He gave the right to become children of God. And they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. There are some things in the world that are facts, that are absolutely true, but they're just really hard to believe. Consider the following. Honey does not ever spoil. You can enjoy honey that is 10,000 years old. True, but hard to believe, right? A full head of human hair is strong enough to support 12 tons. I could probably handle about 20 pounds, right? (laughs) An adult's blood vessels could circle the equator four times if they were laid end to end. Clouds weigh hundreds of thousands of pounds. They are full of water, and they just effortlessly float above our heads. No support, no structure, just massive weight floating around above us. Here's something I found. I didn't know this. If you tried a new variety of apples every day, it would take more than 20 years to try them all. Currently, there are 7,500 varieties of apples in the world. 
At 40 degrees, the temp at 40 degrees below zero, we almost got there, right? <clears throat> the temperature is the same in both Fahrenheit and Celsius. A pound of quarters and a pound of dimes are essentially worth the same amount. The amount is about $20. And finally, if you were able to fold a piece of paper in half 42 times, it would reach the moon. It's pretty much impossible to fold a single sheet of paper more than about eight times, though Mythbusters once folded a giant sheet the size of a football field 10 times. Isn't that amazing? If you could fold a single sheet of paper 42 times, it would reach the moon. Now again, as hard as those facts are to believe, they're absolutely true. However, there remains one fact that is absolutely true, and yet for a lot of people, we really have a hard time either understanding or believing this. And that is, over 2,000 years ago, God took on human flesh and became a man named Jesus Christ. Believe it or not, Jesus Christ became, without exception, the greatest man to ever walk the face of the earth. Now think about this. Jesus never wrote one word with his own hand that was ever recorded. He never spoke to more than a few thousand people at one time, and he never traveled more than 30 miles away from his home. And yet, for over 2,000 years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, year after year after year, at any one given time, there will be millions of people studying what he said, trying to do all of the things that he did, reading the words that he spoke, and worshiping him as God. There is so much to the Christmas story alone that is absolutely true and yet very hard to believe. I think it's one thing, you know, to unwrap Christmas gifts, but I think it's a whole nother thing to unwrap the gift of Christmas, the true gift of Christmas. And tonight, before we unwrap any Christmas gifts, let us just start the evening by unwrapping the gift of Christmas. The first Christmas gift that was ever given was given by God himself to mankind. And it is the greatest gift ever given because it was God essentially giving us himself. You see, it's the who of Christmas that makes the what of Christmas so important and the why of Christmas so understandable. We don't just celebrate Christmas primarily because of how Jesus was conceived, though that is a miraculous truth. We celebrate Christmas because of who Jesus is. The New Testament book I just read to you from moments ago, uh, the Gospel of John, was written by a man named John. I know it's not a particularly clever title, uh, but it does tell us who wrote it. As many of you may know, John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And as a matter of fact, he was kind of in an inner circle with a couple of other disciples, and they really were the ones who were the closest to Jesus. They lived, and they traveled, uh, and they just 
saw life with Jesus up close, microscopically, and they were very personal in the life of Jesus. Now keep in mind that the disciple John, he doesn't really give us any details regarding the actual birth of Jesus Christ. He kind of leaves that to Matthew and Luke. John gives us the why he was born. Matthew and Luke, they kind of focus on the how and the when. John talks about the why. And from those first 18 verses I just read to you there, he gives us so much to contemplate regarding the birth of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, that is absolutely true. And yet when you stop and think about it, it's very hard to wrap your mind around. First is God enters into human existence with us. In just 10 words, one sentence, we find an absolutely true yet hard to believe statement in John 1.14. And he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now remember, John gets to that statement there in verse 14. But he prefaces it with telling us this in verse one. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then he says in verse 14, and then that word, which is God, became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. Now what John is telling us there is he's saying that the word, which is God, has eternally existed. He says, before there was ever a heaven and an earth, before there was ever a Genesis 1-1, John says Jesus Christ already existed with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And at some point in the Bible describes it as at the right time, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus leaves his place among the Godhead and he comes to earth and John said he takes on human flesh and he dwells among us as a fully functioning human being. Now John is being as physiologically precise as he can be. He says Jesus Christ was God who became a human being that what is implied in one of the names of Jesus that he has given, we sang that song tonight, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what we're singing about. That's what we're proclaiming. God came among us as a man. And that's what the word incarnation means. It comes from the Latin phrase and it literally means in fleshing. God became something he had never been before. Let that sink in. God, through the birth of Jesus Christ, as God took on human flesh and came among us as a human being, God became something he had never been before. The wording there in John 1, again, it's extremely precise. God, without ceasing to be God, became a human being, and now he becomes the God-man, fully God and fully human. And again, up to this point, up to the birth of Jesus Christ, God had never known what it was like to be fully human. 
And it's through the incarnation, that infleshing, that God becomes an actual fetus developing over nine months in the womb of Mary. And then he was born as a baby. And you have to keep in mind, he was born like a baby as any other baby would be born. He couldn't feed himself. He couldn't care for himself. He needed to be changed. He needed to be taken care of like any other baby. And then in time, he becomes a child and then a man. And through the incarnation, through the birth of God, or through the birth of Christ, God, the immortal one, the eternal one, the invisible one, the timeless one, the one, John said, who has no beginning and no end, now enters into time as a human being. And for the first time in all eternity past, God now had skin, bones, veins, and corpuscles, eyes and ears, just like you and me. He got tired, hungry, thirsty. He wept, he bled, he died. God could completely identify and sympathize with us what it was like to be a human being. This wasn't like he was, you know, Superman and he just pulls out a pair of sunglasses and pretends he's Clark Kent among us. Rather, he was an ordinary Jewish man, a full-fledged human being just like us. He was seen, he was heard, he was touched, he was fully human, but... He was also fully God. When Jesus Christ was born there in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, again, God takes on humanity. But here's the amazing thing that makes Jesus so unique and so distinct from anyone else who would ever be born is that he didn't lose any of his divine nature. He was 100% human and 100% God. And that's why John made the statement that he made his dwelling among us. The Greek word there for made his dwelling, it is the word to tabernacle or to pitch a tent. Now any Jew reading those words would have understood exactly what John was saying because in the Old Testament, the tabernacle is where the people would go to meet with God. They, they didn't meet with God face to face because the scriptures made it very clear they could not see God's face and live. God would be present among them, but he would have to wrap himself in what the Bible calls a cloud of glory. And the tabernacle is where the people, the nation of Israel, would go to experience and to encounter God's presence. And John is declaring that through the birth of Christ, as God took on flesh and dwelt among us as a human being, that God had come down and pitched his tent among us. And John was declaring to the reader then and to the reader now, when Jesus Christ was born, God took off that cloud of glory and now wrapped himself in human flesh. So when you saw Jesus, you were seeing God face to face. It was now flesh meeting flesh. And that is why the supreme way, the greatest way, the best way, the only way to meet God is through Jesus Christ. The best way to know God is to know Jesus Christ. You see, God has revealed himself in three ways. The first way is in creation. 
God has revealed his power. The second way in scripture, and by that God has revealed his plans, his purposes. But in Jesus, God has revealed his person. That's the third way. Think about it this way. The impossible is that man can become God. And there are religions out there that teach that. Mormons teach that we will eventually become God. The impossible is that man can become God. The inconceivable is that God would become man. There are religions that teach that it is, it's, it's, uh, it's wrong to think that God would ever pollute himself, that God would ever become a human being. They think of that as, as heresy. The impossible is that man can become God. The inconceivable is that God would become man. The incredible is that Jesus is both. No other religion in history except Christianity has ever considered becoming a human being essential in confessing who God really is. That is the part of the gift of Christmas. Jesus as God entered into life with us as one of us. And it leads to the second truth. And that is Jesus expresses God to us. Listen again to verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the father's heart. He has revealed God to us. And John is reminding his readers there that no one has ever seen God and no one in the ancient world would have disagreed with that statement. If you go back and read ancient literature, you find that people were both fascinated and frustrated by the fact that whatever gods or God were out there, they could never be personally known or seen. The author Plato once said this, never man and never God, and never man and God can ever meet. Of course, every Jew knew what God said to Moses there in Exodus 33:20. When Moses asked to see God, he said to Moses, "No one can look upon my face and live." And, and John's thinking about that as he's writing this gospel, and there just comes that little word there that John inserts in verse 18, "But." No one has ever seen God but the unique one who is himself God. And he refers there to Jesus as the unique one. And the literal translation there is the one unique God. To John, that is Christmas in a nutshell. Jesus is God. He is God the Son. And he has always been God. There was never a time when Jesus was not God and he has not always been human. And it was not until that first Christmas that the incarnation of God becoming flesh took place, but it did take place. Jesus was all that God was and all that man was. And you cannot take God out of the man, Jesus Christ, and you cannot take the man, Jesus Christ, out of God. He was not God with a touch of humanity, nor was he a man with a touch of divinity. He was fully God and fully man. And John goes on to conclude, this Jesus has made God known. He reveals God. He expresses God to us. 
That phrase gives us our English word exegesis. In other words, Jesus is the exegesis of God. Jesus wanted to show us what God is like in human flesh. And everything that Jesus is, God is. Do you want to come to God? Come to Jesus. Do you want to know God? Know Jesus. In Jesus, you don't just see God. You don't just hear God. You don't just feel God. John says with Jesus, you know God and God knows you. Do you realize for the first time ever, at least two things are true because God took on human flesh and lived among us? One, you can now see God and live. And secondly, you can know God and live forever. Let me close with this story. There was a great plastic surgeon named Dr. Maxwell Maltz. He tells about a man who had been injured in a fire while he was attempting to save his parents from a burning house. They died, but in the process, the man's face was burned and totally, permanently disfigured. And the man thought that this was God's punishment on his life, and he would not allow anyone to see him, including his wife. So one day the wife goes to Dr. Maltz and she explains to him what happened and she asks for his help. And Dr. Maltz said to the wife, I think I can restore his face to where he would be willing to, to be around and for other people to look at him. And the wife knew that that wouldn't help because the husband refused any help. So she refused the doctor's offer. And Dr. Maltz then said, well, then why did you come to see me? And the wife said, because I want you to disfigure my face so I can be like him. If I can look like him and hurt like him, maybe he will let me back into his life. Dr. Maltz was shocked. Of course, he denied her request, but he was so moved by what this woman's love wanted to do that he went to see her husband and Dr. Maltz knocked on the man's door, but the man refused to open it. So Dr. Maltz said through the door, sir, I am a plastic surgeon, and I want you to know I can restore your face. Still, there was no response. Dr. Maltz pleaded, please come out. Let me talk to you. Again, there was no answer. So continuing to speak through the door, Dr. Maltz told the man what his wife had, had requested. He said, sir, your wife wants me to disfigure her face to make her face like yours so you will let her back into your life. That is how much she loves you. And after a brief moment of silence, the doorknob began to turn and the man came out. The way that woman loved her husband gives us a small glimpse into how much God loves us. God took on our face when Jesus was born. He lived a sinless, a perfect life among us. John says, full of grace and truth to show us what God the Father was really like. And at one point in his life, as Jesus goes to the cross, he becomes disfigured and fully identifies with us by taking our sin upon himself and he dies in our place, suffering the penalty of our sins. God himself imposed the penalty of sin, which is death. And then he also paid the price himself by becoming one of us and dying upon a cross. 
Only a God who loves unconditionally would ever do something like that. To every one of us tonight, we have each been given the light of Christ. And it has been given to lead us out of darkness. The darkness of our sin and our separation from God. John 1.9 says, the light, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone. Every one of us in this room, every one of us in this city, every one of us in this country, every one of us in this world, we have all been given a measure of light. It's been given to everyone was coming into the world. Every one of us have been given some measure of his true light. And as that light shines into our darkness, it lights up the way for us to forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. My prayer for each one of us is that we have both seen and received God's true light revealed to us through his son, Jesus Christ. I don't think anyone here tonight would disagree that the world around us is getting darker and darker, and sin is abounding more and more. And more than ever, I believe the world needs the one who is the true light. That true light is meant to be received first into our own lives, and then our responsibility is to share that with others. Tonight, as we close, we're gonna give you the opportunity to do both. At the start of the service tonight, I lit the middle candle, the final candle, the Christ candle, and it represents Christ being the light of the world. Tonight, I'm gonna take my candle and I'm gonna receive the light from the Christ candle, and it really represents, as I I receive that light, it, it represents that I have received that light of Christ into my life, and I am now walking in the light as he is in the light. The Bible describes it this way. It says that once we were walking in darkness, but now through Christ, we are walking in the light. I'm also going to share with others here tonight the light of Christ by sharing my light with you. As Christ followers, again, we have a responsibility to share the light of Christ with those who are walking in darkness, who are lost in sin. And what you'll see tonight as we darken the room, the more light that is shared, the brighter it becomes. So as we watch this video on the true story of Silent Night, we'll then pass the light to each other. And once the video's done, I'll invite all of you to stand with our lit candles and we'll sing together and close our time tonight by singing Silent Night, Holy Night. So again, we wanna, uh, if you did not get a candle, you can kind of go back there and grab uh, a candle. Um, If children want to do a candle, that's great, but mom and dad, just make sure that you're kind of watching them, that the wax can kind of drip down sometimes and get on hands, so uh, just be careful as we're passing that. So watch this video. High in the Austrian Alps, in the cold and snowy village of Mariafar, a young priest named Joseph Moore had been assigned to the parish. But he walked the streets with a heavy heart. Napoleon's war had wreaked havoc across Europe. Moore had witnessed firsthand the depression of the economy and the suffering of the village where he had once resided. 
There was no doubt the young priest sought after God's stillness and peace. And it was here, lost in the majestic view of the Tower Mountains, where he penned the lyrics that reached for hope from the holy night that changed the world forever. As tradition tells it, two years later, Moore was preparing for midnight mass when he discovered their faithful organ had played its last note. Desperate to find a song for his parishioners to sing on Christmas Eve, Moore grabbed the lyrics he had written two years before, left his church, and journeyed to the home of his friend, organist Franz Gruber. He showed Franz the words and asked him to compose a simple melody that could be accompanied by only a guitar. And so, on December 24, 1818, Moore's poetic expression of the birth of Jesus was sung by a humble congregation on a snowy, cold Christmas Eve, filling them with the hope of heavenly peace. Over the next century, Silent Night would spread across the world. And then, in 1914, those same lyrics, birthed in the aftermath of war, found their way back to the battlefield. On Christmas Eve, both English and German troops laid down their weapons and sang together about God's peace from deep in the trenches of the First World War. To this day, God pours out his gift of heavenly peace to all who will receive it. From high mountains to low battlefields, church choirs to families round the tree, we celebrate the very moment God transformed humanity by sending the greatest gift of all on that first silent and holy night. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.